0: Good morning. Uh, Happy Father's Day. We're so glad you're here today. If I could, just right at the beginning, if I could have all the dads, if you're a dad, if you could please uh, stand up, that would be great. Now, on Mother's Day, uh, we gave a gift to all of the women of the church. We gave them a carnation. But I knew that men would be a little bit more competitive. So uh, what I decided to do is uh, we have a gift for all of you they're called uh, carabiners, and they're keychains. And when you leave today, you'll get one. But I wanted to give four guys one of these now. So I'm just going to throw them, and you'll have to catch. Protect the women around you that they do not get drilled, okay? So I'm going to do one for each section, okay? So here you go. Here's one. All right, good. Maybe they caught something. Here we go. Way in the back. Ah! Oh, look at that. Good. All right. Here's another one. Way in the back. Ah, maybe. Close. All right. Bad throw. That was my fault. Okay, here's one more. Way in the back. Oh. All right. Well, that's that. Now, ladies, this is what I'm telling you. You see how excited the men got with this, you know, dollar carabiner? You don't need to buy them anything big. Just put competition within it, and they will love it no matter what. Um, Actually, though, we have a lot of great dads uh, that are here, and we're so proud of them. And uh, so many of you uh, really do spend a lot of time trying to honor uh, your uh, kids and, most importantly, to honor God. And uh, I want to encourage all of our wives and girlfriends and women of the church to uh, celebrate them here in just a second by hooting and hollering and being excited. And I don't mean like the way you do at a sporting event, but more like the reveal on an HGTV program. Like you get to the end of that and you're real excited or when the bachelorette, you know, comes on or something like that. Okay. So we want to give all of the fathers uh, a hand. So on the count of three, ladies, uh, let's do your best. Uh, One two, three. All right. Way to go, dads. Hey, I'd like to pray for all of you. If you could just stay standing just for a second um, as a way to uh, continue to encourage you to move closer to God and in your relationship with your kids. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the fact that you are such an amazing father to us, a good, good father, and that you never leave us, you never walk away. And I thank you, God, for each dad here at the jar who's trying to take steps each day to draw closer to you. I pray that you would give them your wisdom as they parent their kids. Be with the dads who have small, little infants and Small little toddlers, give them wisdom on knowing how to raise them in a way that honors you and give them the gift of patience, God, as they uh, try to raise them in a way that uh, is pleasing to you. And God, I pray for all of those dads who have adult children. Uh, Let them know that you are protecting their kids regardless of where they're at. And God, I'm not naive enough to realize that there are some Relationships that dads have with their kids right now that are kind of strange. They don't talk very much, and so I pray right now, through your Holy Spirit, God, that you would bring reconciliation to those relationships. I also ask, God, that you would be with each dad who's standing here, that regardless of the mistakes they may have made as a father, that you forgive them when they come to you. And I pray, God, that you would Give them strength that if they have made some mistakes with their kids, that they would pick up the phone or sit down and talk with them and make things right. God, these dads who are here today, some of them have lost their own father, and they feel the loss of that on this day. So I pray, God, that you would come with your mercy and compassion, and you would comfort them. I pray also, God, that you would be with each dad who's standing, that you would give them divine wisdom to be the best dad that they can be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's hear it for our dads one more time. Let's give them a hand. You know, it's one thing for a young man to step up and decide that they're going to be a dad. It's quite another thing, though, for a young man to stand up and declare before God and his spouse and his kids and family and friends that they want to be the best dad that they possibly can be, that they want to be a fantastic father and to honor God in all their ways. Now, not all dads do this. The only dads that do this are the ones that are the courageous fathers. And so today, I want to challenge you to be a courageous father by looking at our big idea this morning for all of our dads, and it's this. That fathering requires courage. That if you're going to be a father that honors God and honors your kids, it's going to require courage. I mean, you can't be a pansy and be passive and be a courageous father. And at the same point, you can't be aggressive and a jerk and cause guilt and fear and shame on your kids and be called a courageous father as well. It's very interesting to me that when you think about the word courage, often you think about the sporting field. And whether it's the soccer field or uh, the softball field, the baseball field, you'll see courage that takes place. But for me, what I often look at is the courage of the fathers who are in the stands. There's a particular father that is a part of uh, our, my daughter's uh, uh, soccer team, and his daughter and my daughter play together. But one of the things is that although he's loud, he's not very courageous. I've heard him yell at referees. I've heard him yell at coaches. I've heard him yell at other opposing players. I've heard him yell at our players. I've heard him yell at almost anyone and everyone during a game. He's kind of a bully. But the damage that he causes most of all isn't with all of those individuals, but it's with his one particular gift that God gave to him, and that's his own daughter. I mean. She's a good player, but you would never know it if you just listen to his voice. He berates her. He puts her down. He is often often telling her what she's not doing right and that she's way too slow. Sometimes his antics are so great that it actually kind of scares my daughter. It's brought her to tears at least one time. And I said to him one time, uh, Because I've tried to build a relationship. I was like, man, you're really hard on her. And I'll never forget him saying these words. Yeah, but that's nothing compared to what happened to me when I was growing up. And I realized in that moment that what was true about this man and so many other fathers that I've seen is that the only model of fathering that they ever see is from their own father. And so they look at that and then that becomes the norm. And guys, this is the reality, that some of the dads before us got it wrong, that generations before, they didn't get it quite right. And what happens is if you only listen to that one voice over time, over generation after generation, this dysfunction hits to your kids. But this is what I want to say today. You can change that. You can change whatever the path has looked like. Today, some of you dads, you could rise up before God and your family and your friends and your spouses, and you could say, the generational insanity of fathering from my family tree, it stops today. It stops now. It stops with me. I'm going to part ways with some of the broken behaviors of my father and maybe his father. And with God's help, I'm going to chart a whole new course, a whole new way that I'm going to parent my kids. And the craziness ends with me. It ends now. Guys, I've seen dozens and dozens of jar dads make some courageous decisions when it came around this whole idea of becoming a fantastic father, becoming a courageous father. I know one dad who almost uh, much of his early parenting, most of his early fathering, he wasn't around because he was partying and drinking and being at a bar. In fact, even to the point of when his Uh, One child was born, he wasn't there. But when Christ came into his life and he came to Christ, he also made a decision within that that he had seen as dysfunction in his family before. And the decision was, I'm going to stop drinking alcohol. Because alcohol had destroyed so much of his family. And it caused all kinds of dysfunction. And he stood up and he courageously said, it stops with me, it stops now, I'm no longer going to drink. It takes courage, a lot of courage. And he kept his vow. And it's been amazing to see how more healthy his family is because of that decision. I know a a jar dad who um, was nearly destroyed by a verbally abusive, mean-spirited father. He'd been verbally abused and it could have easily been that exact way onto his kids, but he had a daughter. And this guy made a commitment that he would not raise his voice in a hurtful way to demean her or to put her down. And the verbal abuse in this family's lineage, he said, No, 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 no. It stops with me. It stops now. What courage fathering takes. Some of you know my dad. He's a great guy, wonderful follower of Christ, one of my best friends. But growing up as a child, he was very, very busy, and he allowed his work to just simply consume him. And I don't have very many memorable moments of just my dad and I being together. And it wasn't just him, but many of the fathers of the 70s and early 80s, many of them, it was all about work and I have to provide and I have to, and it's a noble cause, but so many kids didn't have much time with their dads. So what was interesting was when my friends and I started to get married and to start having our own kids, we had a decision to make. And the decision was, what kind of dad would we become? And I'll never forget when Jordan was born, and I held her in my arms for the very first time, and I looked down at her, and there were these feelings of love back to her and from me, and tears that were falling that I had never experienced before in my life. And I'll never forget, I made a commitment in that hospital room on that day that regardless of what the other dads were going to be like, I would be a dad who would have time to be with this little girl. In fact, um, I decided that, uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, In fact, I decided that if I was going to do anything else when it came to my work in the church and my work as a father, that if I had to cheat something, if I was going to cheat the time with one of those two entities, I would cheat the church and I would not cheat my family. And I don't care what other dads do. This is what this dad wanted to do. And for the past nine years, there has rarely been a moment that I wasn't at an activity that they were involved in. That I wasn't at a place where they were at. Where I woke them up in the morning and I was able to put them to bed at night. That I went to the sporting event, the activity, the dance recitals, and on and on. Now last week I shared with you that uh, I spent six hours driving to watch three soccer games in 95 degree weather. And when I got there, I had uh, this umbrella that was up over my head because I'm old enough now, I don't really want that much sun. And so I'm there and then I come back and on Saturday night, I'm kind of telling my dad about what I sacrificed and not what I did for this kid and how I was whining. And in his voice, he was just kind of like, don't be such a whiner. It's your daughter. And I'm like, seriously? And he's like, yeah, and I'm going to the games next week too. So here's this 70-year-old, uh, 78-year-old man who is in 100-degree weather watching his granddaughter play soccer, and he loved it. And Jordan loves her papa. But often when I see this, I'm thinking, Dude, you wouldn't even take me to a practice, and now you're driving an hour and a half to do this? Like, really? Now listen, all of you dads, you are underneath kind of a falsity. And the falsity is that regardless of where you are at in your parenting stage... Whether you have adult children or small children, adult children or small children, you don't really know how your kids see love. That when it comes to love, how do they spell love? And they don't spell it L O V E, they spell it this way T I M E. That they want time. That more than anything else, the way that you show love to your kids is through your time. The essence of love is not what you think or do or what you provide. It's how much of yourselves do you give away? I have many dads who will come up to me and they're like, Chris, I just don't get it. I mean, like I'm working so hard. I'm trying to do everything for them. They have everything they want. What else do they want? You know what they want? They want you. They want your ears, they want your eyes, they want your attention, they want your presence, they want your focus, they want your time. Nothing can take that place of time. And you know what? Honestly, I've never regretted a single moment when I have had to cheat on the church instead of cheating on my family. Because what I've seen is that I'm hoping that this whole sense of making work the most important thing that that part of my family lineage stops. Not that work isn't important, not that we shouldn't work, but it should not take precedent over what we're able to do with our family. Dads, what kind of insanity, though, is in your family tree? I can only speak for mine and just say that time with kids was not there and it wasn't there for many generations. But what is it for you? What's the insanity that you could stop today in your family lineage? What behavior, what hurtful, potential, extremely destructive thing that's in your family system could you say, enough is enough, I'm going a different way, I'm going to pivot, it's going to change now. That's the thing with courage is that it's buried in each one of us. And it's up to us to be able to turn to God and say, God, I don't want it to be buried anymore. I want it to be up and out and being utilized for the good of God. Because you have a very courageous Heavenly Father who is willing to take a stand. And He says, I want you to take a stand too. To step up, to declare, today is a new day. It's a fresh beginning. I don't have to parent the way that it's been in the past. And what better day than on Father's Day 2016 to stand up and to be able to say, today's the day. It stops with me. It starts with a new path in my name. I know a guy in his uh, mid-30s. I was talking to him last week. And he said, uh, my biological father really had nothing to do uh, with me or with our family. And uh, he said, then when My mom got remarried and I had a stepdad. Uh, He worked construction and we lived in and out of hotel rooms all the time. And he said, so for my whole life we were always moving around and there was never any stable place that we were connected at. And so he said he wanted to provide that for his kids. And so he worked hard to be able to provide a one place where they could be and for church to be a priority, for a home that they could come that was stable and secure. And he made all of those changes. It takes a fantastic dad to be able to do that. I know another dad who is a uh, computer programmer. He has a degree in that. If he chose to go, he could be employed probably by any company. If he traveled, he could make lots of money. And yet he decided very early on that he wanted to be present. And so he and his wife worked out an arrangement in which he would be there half the time and would do computer programming half the time. And I asked him one day, I was like, well, why do you do that? And he says, because right now my kids need me. And it was almost like he was saying, uh, you know, the reality is, is that I can do code for computer programming for the rest of my life. But I only have this window of opportunity right now to do life with my kids. That takes courage to be that kind of father. So the first thing you have to do is you have to think in your mind, what is that crazy family lineage thing that has been going through our family? And I notice that even myself, I do that. Or if you have adult kids, I did that. How can I change that? Because it's never too late. And the way you do that is by understanding what do kids need most, whether they're adult kids or whether they're toddlers. What do they need most? And this is what they need. First of all, and we already alluded to it a little bit, they need love. They need love. First John 3, 1 says this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. Now, when he describes the type of love, what kind of love is it that God gives to us? What's the descriptive word? What kind of love? Great. It's great. It's not like a, a little bit of love or a tiny bit of love. It is a great kind of love. And then he goes on to say, and how does God give us this great love? How does he give it to us? What's it say? He lavishes it on us. In other words, it's like a a fountain or a waterfall constantly pouring down upon us. And folks, just as God lavishes his great love upon us, his children, deep down inside, all of us know this, that the greatest need that any child has is to have irrational amounts of love lavished on them. A kid doesn't need to feel warmly appreciated or tolerated. They need to be cherished. They need to be treasured. Kids want irrational love. Even when they're 40, they want irrational love. Before my wife Jennifer and I had children, uh, we had made a decision that we were going to give irrational amounts of love to our kids. And Jen, the biggest reason she wanted that is because in her family system, love was not expressed very much in affectionate ways. And so she wanted that. And so this is just one little window of the bunch household of the way that we express love. Our kids' bedtime right now is 10 o'clock. Now, you can be haters and look at us and go, 10 o'clock? You're not very good parents. But it's summer. Summer. Okay, and in summer, we let them stay up because if you don't let them stay up, they get up so early. So you let them go to bed later. So uh, we do that. And about 10 o'clock, we're like, hey, let's all get together. And everyone goes and we get our pajamas. We brush teeth. We do all that kind of stuff. And then we come back to mom and dad's room. We all sit in or we lay down in the bed and they pick out a couple of books and we read those books. And then after that, Jen takes one of the girls and I take the other girl to their separate rooms and we read their devotional Bible. Or if they're able to read it, which they are now, many times they want to read it. Then we pray with them and then we have uh, just a a few songs that we sing uh, with them. And then after that, we give them a hug or kiss and then we leave. Now, whichever kid that I get, when I get ready to leave, I always ask them the same three questions. Almost uh, since birth, they've had these questions asked of them. The first one I always ask is this. I'll go, do you know what, Shiloh? And she'll go, what? And I'll go, I love you. And she goes, I love you too, Daddy. And then I'll go, and you know what else? And she'll go, what? And I'll go, you have a beautiful body. She goes, I know. And then the last one I always say is, now, I want you to see if you can fill the blank. If I had to line up all the little girls in the entire world, I would choose you, number one, to be my, and then I pause, and they both always yell out, daughter! And why do I do that? Because little boys and little girls need tons of irrational kind of love poured upon them. And I do this each night. And rarely has there been a night in the last nine years that that hasn't happened. Folks, it's a generally held belief this way too, that when kids get irrational amounts of love, when they go through uh, teenage and adulthood, that the number of very large psychological disorders that many kids face and adults is reduced so much simply by affirmation, and love to those kids. The power of love is just that strong. And it's your God-given duty. If you're a dad and your dad never hugged you and never uh, gave you a kiss or showed any affection whatsoever, this is my word to you. So what? Get over it. Don't do that to your kids. Be affectionate to them. Because it's a gift that you give to them. So, we have like this scale. On one side, what kids need is love. On the other side, what they need is limits. Kids need limits. Dad's God has called you to provide for your children limits. It's like guardrails so they don't go off the road. The Bible tells us this. That that little bundle of love that you brought home from the hospital has some rebellion in them, has some self-centeredness in them. And they are going to try you as much as they can. And you have to be a person that gives limits consistently and straightforwardly. Because if you don't do this, if you just have the love side and you never have limits, you are in a boatload of trouble coming up later in life. In fact, the Bible gives us clear direction on this. It says this, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and discipline is necessary to drive it out. That's providing limits on your kids is much more difficult than what our world would want us to know. I mean, it's it's very hard to set a limit. It's hard to get that thing balanced between love and limits. And the reality is, is that the elephant in the room is that in many American homes, in our culture, limits are nowhere to be found. There's a lot of love, and It's good. And they, they put massive amounts of it on. And there's affection. And they're doing a great job with this love side. And love is needed. Fantastic fathers pour tons of love. But at the same point, they give limits of what that looks like. And fewer and fewer dads all the time are finding the courage to enforce the limit side. And when you do this, folks, disaster happens. Recently, um... We had some friends that came to our house, they have two boys, and those two boys trashed our house. And as all of this is going on, I'm looking at their dad, and their dad is literally sitting on the couch, just sitting there watching the chaos go up and down the stairs and all around, and he doesn't do anything. And then I look over at the wife, and the wife's there too, and she's sitting down and she has her phone out like doing all these games and Facebook and everything, just hoping that the chaos goes away. But it's not going away. And so they're both there, and all of this is happening. And finally, the two boys got some kind of rope from our house, and they start playing tug-of-war right by our bookshelves. And the one kid drops it like that, and the other brother, he falls back into the bookcase. And he falls down, and he gets up, and I'm thinking... Surely now the dad is going to do something. And so the dad is on this couch and he gets up and he goes over and he tries to negotiate with these two little criminals. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself at that point that all I wanted to do was grab him by the throat and say, man up and take those two little sinners and put their butt in a chair or... Wipe them up a little bit. Show them how the real world works. And don't let them destroy something in my house. Well, he didn't do anything. They pick up the rope again and they start doing tug-of-war. Well, that was too much at that point. So I go over and I grab the rope myself from them. I'm like... You're done. And I walk away, and the one little kid grabs me by the arm. He's like, No, that's mine. And I was like, It's not yours anymore. <laughs> Dads, kids need limits. Kids need boundaries. Kids need courageous fathers who are willing to put them in a little chair or whatever the discipline is. And I so wanted, wanted I so wanted. To to tell that father, I wanted to tell him what he should do. But this is what I've learned. That if you try to tell other parents how to parent their kids, a felony is coming. (laughs) And it might be for you. So, hey, one more thought on this whole thing with limits on kids, boundaries on kids. One of the most um, courageous men on the battlefield in the Bible, throughout the Bible, was a guy by the name of David. From David and Goliath fame. He would take these small, little, outnumbered troops and he would take them into battles and he would get these great victories on the battlefield multiple times. And so many times his men would look at David and they're like, man, I want to be like David because he has so much courage. He's not afraid of anybody. He'll do anything. But interestingly enough, what took place was that all the courage that he had on the battlefield, it never transferred into the home front. It never transferred into his parenting skills. And one particular day, David's son does something horrible, terrible to his half-sister. And I mean, it was so terrible that you can read about it in 2 Samuel 13. But this horrible thing happens. And the family's horrified. In verse 21, it says this. When King David heard all of this, he was furious. And you're thinking right now, okay, I've seen him furious in the battlefield before. So he'll be furious and make sure that his daughter gets justice and that the wicked son has accountability. But you know what David did? Absolutely nothing. He didn't do anything. He just let it happen. Didn't confront the situation. Swept it under the rug in a very cowardly kind of way. And if you see what takes place is that in one position he had strength and courage. But when it came to the home front he had none whatsoever. And eventually that particular act was the beginning of the destruction of that entire family. Now, I mention this because this that Some of you are rock stars when it comes to the workplace. When it comes to where you work and what you do, you are amazing. You do a great job with the job that you have. You're a manager or you oversee people. You have tons of courage in the workplace. You make tough decisions, strategy, you make money, personnel decisions. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, I don't know why this is, but you take your capes off at the workplace, you leave it on the door, and then you walk into the home and you turn into passive, detached, cowardly dads. Bad plan, guys. Bad, bad plan. Keep your capes on. Because the capes are more important, honestly, in your home than they ever are in the workplace. Because when you get these boundaries in place and you set the limits, and it takes courage, I know that it does, but when you do it lovingly and decisively, later on in life, Scripture tells us that your kids will come back to you and they'll say these things. Dad, thank you so much for drawing some lines in the sand and holding me accountable for that because I'm a better man. I'm a better woman Because of. Now I realize that there's a broad range of fathers here today. Some of you have adult kids. Some of you have infants. And there are many places in between. Now when you're raising children, when they're very young, it should look like this. It should be a one-up, one-down process. If you're a parent of young children, it should be one-up, one-down. We as parents, we have to help our kids know what to wear, what to eat, when to go to bed. What time to get up? We are totally in charge of our kids in that moment. It's the way it should be. But the Bible makes it very clear that if you're going to be wise as a parent, you're not really raising children. You're raising adults. And you're giving them wisdom that over time, that this one up, one down thing, it starts changing a little bit to where finally they get character and understanding and ability to where they're able to see you eye to eye. We want them to come up to our eye level. That's the goal. So that in late high school, when they start challenging the authority and they're starting to make decisions, that it's at that point that as a parent, you have to shift it. It's not one up, one down when they become a teenager. You have to see them eye to eye within the midst of that so that when they spin off into this world, they make healthy, wise decisions. It takes courage, though, folks, to be able to build that kind of character within your kids. Now, how about the courage it takes to let your kids go? In 1990, at the age of 19, I walked up to my dad Uh, in the fall of 1990. I said, hey, dad, I think I want to go to the Middle East, to Turkey and to Egypt. Doesn't that sound like a great idea? He didn't really say anything, so I'm assuming that was maybe no. Now, the year before, I had gone to West Africa for a month, and now I had this opportunity to do this. And I'm sure my dad was thinking this. If he goes to Egypt and he goes to Turkey, there will be places where he's at that he will be hundreds of miles away from being able to communicate with me. Because this was long before everybody had a cell phone. But I think my dad also understood that Chris wants to see the world in his own way. And he doesn't want me to go along with him. And this will be important to him later on in life if I give him this freedom. And that's exactly what he did. And so my mom and dad, they gave me their blessing. They sent me off into these unstable countries. And I remember my dad saying, Now go for it and have a lot of fun, but don't get yourself killed. Does anyone remember what happened in January of 1991? Yeah, the Gulf War broke out. We were in Cairo, Egypt, when it all happened. There were pro-Iraqi demonstrations outside our hotel because they knew Americans were there. They had already set the date of when they were going to close the international airport in Cairo. We were the last touring group out of there before they closed it. And I remember coming back to the airport and I walked in and my dad came up and he gave me a big hug but, but you could see he was like in a frenzy and freaking out a little bit. And I said, well dad, you told me to go for it not to be killed. And as you can tell, I'm not dead. And he gives me a big hug he's like, yes, I know, I love you. Now I'm going to kill you. It's hard to let kids go. You march down the wedding aisle with this beautiful young woman on your arm this little girl that you have loved and cared for your entire life. And now as you're walking up, you look up the aisle, and you see this bozo with a bow tie standing up there. And you're like, uh, really? To him? It's kind of hard to let your kids go. It takes courage to be able to let your son or your daughter to choose the vocation that they want, even though it may not be your choice. Or worse yet, they choose to make this particular decision and they go off to college and they spend, and you spend all your money to get them this degree and then they don't even do anything with it. Paint on a stick, man. That's what that is. It takes courage to let them go. As I wrap things up, I want to make the ante just a little bit higher. Talking about courage. What would it look like for some of you dads to be courageous enough that if you've made some mistakes with your kids, that you would actually go to them, pick up the phone, set up a time where you could sit down and talk to them face to face and tell them, you know what, I'm sorry. I didn't raise you in this way that I was called to. I didn't love you in this situation. I didn't counsel you wisely. I didn't give you grace in this way. I didn't behave In this way, I didn't spend the quality time that you needed. I'm just telling you, I'm sorry. One of the things that restored my relationship with my dad the most was in my mid-20s, he came to me and he said, you know what? I want to apologize for not being there for you. And I was more concerned about my job and what that was. And I wasn't for you and I'm sorry. You talk about a courageous father. That's a courageous father to make those things right when they've been wrong. And let me just say this, that the outcome dads, many times you're afraid to do that because you're like, well, what if they don't receive it? You know what? Most of the time, once you come with a humble spirit like that and you say those things, they're like, Dad, I understand. You're not perfect. Believe me, you're not perfect. (laughs) And you get reconciliation. Now, I realize that sometimes it's much more complicated than what I just said. But, but dads, this is what I'm saying. It's the right thing to do. I don't care how hard it is, it's the right thing to do. What about the courage it takes for you to actually go talk to your father? That you actually go to the one who you've learned some stuff, and you're like, man, he's offended me, he's hurt me, he's done some different things. You share your heart, you make amends, you forgive. It might not be reconciled overnight, but it's the right thing to do. A dad to call his own dad to get stuff made right. Now you might be thinking, can I do that? Can I reach down and do that? What kind of courage would I have to have to be able to do that? Well, let me give you the courage. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, says this. And for some of you dads, you should circle this, cut it out, put it somewhere, memorize it so it's in your brain. It says this. God speaking. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isn't that a fantastic verse? It's available to all fathers. You know, over the past ten years... It hasn't been a joy, but it's been an honor to officiate the funeral of some of my friends' dads. And for some of them, I officiated the funeral. For others, I stood right beside them as they buried their dad. And each time when I've talked to them about, well, when your dad died, what, what, ha- what does it feel like? Almost to a T, they'll say, a part of my heart just felt like it was gone. It was no longer there. I have a friend who lost his dad in March. And I text him this scripture that I'm going to share with you. It's in Psalm 68.5 and this is what it says. It says, Our God is a father to the fatherless. And today for some of you, your dad's not here. And you feel like there is a piece of your soul that is not alive. But there's a heavenly father that longs to want to reach down and to say, Hey, I'll be your father. I'll be a father to the fatherless. And some of you dads, you need to reach up. You need to reach up to your heavenly father and say, I need you in my life. I've just kind of been doing this thing just kind of on cruise control, but I'm reaching up now that I really want you in my life. I've been cowardly maybe with some of my parenting. I've screwed things up with my wife. But the father of the fatherless reaches down and says, through my son Jesus Christ, I'll reconcile you so that we can have a relationship. Because men, when Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't just dying for the normal sins, but he was dying for the fatherly sins too. And again, when I think of my fatherly sins, there's a huge list that I have. Maybe you have some too. But what better day than on Father's Day 2016 to reach up to the father of the fatherless and that he reaches down and you would say, would you forgive me, Jesus, for these things? Would you help me to be the best dad that I could be? Would you help me to fix some of this stuff? Would you help me to have courage to do it? And what would it be like if every single man leaving this place, every single dad leaving this place today could say, I want to be a courageous dad. I want to be a dad that has a healthy relationship with you, Father, and that he would give that to you. So the question becomes, do you want that? Dad, do you want it? So I'm going to invite you to stand right now, and we're going to close in prayer. And I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up. If you'd like prayer for anything, they would uh, love to pray with you. And dads, men, if you've never really made things right with your heavenly Father, why not make today the day? I mean, if you've never turned your life over to the Father of all creation, why not say, Man, Father's Day, twenty sixteen, it'd be easy to remember, guys. I know you struggle with dates, so you know this would this would be easy. That's the day I just reached up and I said, no, no, regardless of where I've been as a dad, today's the day that I'm turning my one and only life to you. So if that's you, if you're ready to surrender your life as a dad, as a man, to say, I need forgiveness, I need a savior, I need someone greater than myself to help me navigate this whole bothering thing. I need courage to be able to do it. I need forgiveness from the past things that I've done. And I want to invite you to share a prayer, but it's your prayer with me. And I'm going to invite all of us, not just the ones that are saying it for the first time, but for all of us to pray this prayer out loud together. So let's pray. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son to save my life. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your Spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's uh, give a hand to everybody that prayed that for the first time. And if you did pray that for the first time, don't leave without coming up and getting a Bible. And uh, someone just say, hey, way to go. Keep it up. Uh, If you haven't signed up for Kids Camp Resource Table, they need you. We need you. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. Thanks, everybody.